Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, and I want to welcome you to this edition of Restoring the Soul, where we're seeking to answer the question, what if the real struggle behind pornography was actually a deep longing for fullness in Christ. For the next two podcasts, we're going to feature encore editions of a conversation Michael had with Lisa Turkhurst, titled Therapy and Theology, from the Proverbs 31 Ministries podcast. Lisa is president of Proverbs 31 Ministries, and she's New York Times bestselling author of It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. Proverbs 31 Ministries is a non-denominational, non-profit Christian ministry that seeks to lead women into a personal relationship with Christ, with Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 31, as a guide. Now, in these episodes, Lisa and Michael, along with Meredith Brock, introduce us to a new perspective on pornography, a subject that's often avoided in the Christian world, but it's affecting us all. No matter your stage of life, we recommend listening with an open mind and open heart to gain a better understanding on how to support a spouse, friend, or loved one who may be facing this challenge. Now, without any more delay, here's Lisa Turkhurst and Meredith Brock on Restoring the Soul. Michael, I'm going to get into the discussion with you, but I do want to give this um, little preface. If you are married, uh, I encourage you to listen to this with your spouse. I think it's great to get on the same page together. Mm -hmm. And I very much recognize that when dealing with a subject like pornography, that there is a lot of fear. Um, For some couples, there's a lot of pain. uh, And I want to recognize that and just say, hey, this would be a great episode to listen to with your spouse together. And part of what we want to talk about today is the whole issue of where does pornography even come from and how big of an issue it is. So, Michael, I'm going to jump right in and turn that part of the discussion over to you. Well, can I actually can I ask you a question really quickly before we do that? What if I'm not married? What do I do with this? 
What do I do with this conversation if I'm not married? Maybe Michael wants to address that because I'm just thinking, you know, what about our girls who are not quite there yet? Yeah, well, I think it's always good to get educated at the very start of even considering a relationship on some of the potential struggles and pitfalls that could exist. Now, I'm not placing this on anyone, right? but Michael, why don't you comment on how big of an issue pornography actually is? That's great. Great question, and that's almost always the first question that people ask, and the statistics differ from person to person and organization to organization, and uh, I like to say the best way of describing the statistics is that the struggle with pornography is like secondhand smoke, Mm -hmm. so a person doesn't need to be a smoker, but they will be affected by it, and secondhand smoke, as it was proven medically, can even take your life or have really, really damaging effects. And so whether a person has actively looked at pornography or whether that's been in the past, it's really impacting us, um, and it's, it's everywhere. And in my work, I simply assume that men have been affected by it and that at some point in their life uh, that it's been something they've been exposed to and that it's very likely, if not a struggle, something that they're trying to avoid. Mm. And I, I will recognize, too, that I've read you know, many statistics and studies on pornography, and this is not just a uh, male, struggle. male struggle. That's right. You know, I know that it, increasingly females are struggling with this too, but one of the reasons I wanted to tackle this subject is because with us being a women's ministry and people being familiar with my marriage struggles and the restoration process that we are walking through, I'm getting a lot of questions about pornography. Mm -hmm. And um, so, Michael, you know, I think when people think of this issue, they think, well, if a man or a woman, whoever's struggling with it, but for the context of today's conversation, let's say you're married to a man who is struggling with pornography and you think a couple of wrong thoughts as Mm -hmm. the female, you think that if you could do more or be more or, you know, look better or something that surely this would not be an issue. And that's just not true. And also we think, well, if whoever's struggling with pornography, if they just had more willpower or more faith, Mm -hmm. then this surely wouldn't be such a big struggle. But both of those are beliefs that make sense but aren't actually true. It it really has a lot less to do with a wife in a marriage where the husband is struggling with pornography. It has a lot less to do with her. And it also has a lot less to do with, well, if you could just have more willpower, then this wouldn't be a problem. So comment on that, Michael. Yeah, I sure will. And let me just add that as I speak, uh, I have two graduate degrees, one in uh, clinical counseling psychology and the other in pastoral psychology and counseling. But as I speak, I'm mostly speaking out of my own life journey and experience. And as I share in my book, uh, for 29 years, I was a full-blown sex addict, uh, or actually starting around the age of four where there was abuse. And so most of what I say comes out of my own journey of healing and restoration. But in response to your question, I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it's the context of Paul addressing sexual immorality and sexual sin in Corinth. 
And many people might be familiar with the passage there where he talks about if you join yourself with a prostitute, you have become one. And uh, he really speaks about spiritual union and physical union. In other words, sexuality and spirituality as two sides of the same coin. And in 1 Corinthians 6.14, Eugene Peterson paraphrased in his message, he said uh, Paul's words this way, that sex is more than just skin on skin, but it's as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. Mm. And he was really getting to the heart of Paul's teaching, and that is that, yes, there's a physical aspect to our sexuality that's a gift from God, that there's reproduction, that there's pleasure, that there's union, but that there was at the core of it the spiritual mystery that when a man and a woman in marriage join together, that that actually becomes a representation of God. And therefore, if we approach the struggle with lust or the struggle with pornography as just trying to push it down and push it away, our capacity for spiritual union and for spiritual connection that would flow from uh, or be the, the foundation of a sexual connection is lost. And I'd love to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an unlikely person uh, to speak into modern sexuality, but Bonhoeffer wrote apparently from prison before he was executed for uh, opposing the Nazis. He said that the pursuit of purity is not about suppressing lust, but about reorienting our life to a larger goal. So my whole approach has been uh, a response to what has been largely this this idea of suppressing, of trying to manage or wrestle down lust and sexual desire, as opposed to seeing it as a legitimate God-given desire that gets misdirected because of how we mishandle the pain and the disconnection mm-hmm. in our lives. Hmm. I love that quote that you gave us. I, I also saw from your book a quote by G.K. Chesterton, and uh, it says, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is knocking for God. And when you and I were talking about this, Michael, you were saying this really is an issue of fullness versus emptiness. Mm. So, you know, that helped when when we were talking about that helped me take it out of the the stinging feelings around pornography within the context of a relationship and feeling so personal and, and so intimidated by the subject. And you really helped me understand that the real issue, if you want to get down to the heart of it, comes not from the sexual struggle as much as from an emptiness in your relationship with God. And so one of the verses you had given me was Proverbs 27, 7, which says, One who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Wow. And I know when you and I were talking about this also, you were saying that fullness in God looks different for a man than it does a woman. And this was very eye-opening to me. So comment on that. Yes. So I think women are, as your listeners will know, are more naturally connected, more naturally relational. And so the, the first part of fullness for a man is developing an awareness of the legitimate God-given desires, and the word that I like to use is longings and thirst. The the scriptures are full from 
uh, Genesis to Revelation of this idea of hunger, thirst, longing, yearning, um, hope, desire. And those desires in and of themselves are not sinful. And that might be surprising to some listeners, but it's what we do with our desires. Mm. Beneath every single sinful behavior or every behavior that's maladaptive or somehow unhealthy for us is a legitimate God-given desire. So beneath the uh, struggle for pornography, there can be uh, a desire for comfort, for connection, for being soothed, uh, for a man to feel powerful. Uh, and this is a whole separate topic, but in, in sometimes it's because of a man's deep brokenness and the anger within that it can be a way to feel powerful because in the past he has felt so powerless. So in some struggles with lust and porn are not about sex, which in some ways is the most radical idea of all. But Jesus was the master teacher that always redirected the issues to something deeper in the heart. I think that's fascinating because I myself have struggles. Pornography is not one of them. But when I think about the men in my life potentially struggling with pornography, it strikes fear in my heart so deep that I don't even know what to do with it. Right. And so I imagine there's someone listening today and they're like, that sounds great in theory, Michael, but when I hear the word pornography and if I think my husband is struggling with it, I am so afraid. I don't even know what to do with this. So I want to make sure that we talk about how do we talk about this Mm -hmm. with the men in our life. But I also want you to unpack a little bit what you said that fullness in Christ for a woman is nurturing and relational and all of that. But what is it for a man? And I know one time you were you had given me a chart that helps unpack fullness in Christ for a man. I think this is a, a better place for a woman's heart to go to than all of the fear around pornography. So let's go through what this looks like, fullness in Christ for a man. Yeah, well, fullness in Christ, Jesus spoke about how we don't live by bread alone in Matthew when he was speaking to the evil one. And then in John, his disciples come to him and say, hey, Rabbi, have something to eat. And his response is, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And so coming back to this idea that uh, the first thing is that men have to become aware of these desires and longings. And that generally happens for men when they hit some kind of wall or when they come to a place where, as I say, they got no game. Uh, They somehow (laughs) encounter their brokenness. And when that happens, a man may begin to look inside. And what he will discover is that there are these hungers and thirsts for something so much more than life as he knows it, or this is just as good as it gets. And Mm -hmm. so I speak of four A's and three S's specifically to help men begin to have a language for this. Their their longings, their desires. And just to frame this in the context of Scripture, there's a passage I I stumbled on as a very young believer that I, I have highlighted in every Bible version I've had. And David says in Psalm 38, verse 9, All my longings lie open before you, O God. Mm. My sighing is not hidden from you. And so often men will refer to David as the man after God's own heart, despite the fact that he committed adultery and conspired in a murder. 
But David, this this prototype of the godly man, was somebody that was deeply, deeply connected to his own heart Mm -hmm. and to the emptiness out of which came this cry to God of, my sighing is not hidden from you. It's right here. And so a man who is moving toward fullness is a man who is aware of the hunger and thirst for, in his heart, truly for connection uh, and, and for adventure and for a sense of purpose. And the very first A of these uh, words that I, I use is simply the longing for attention. And by attention, I don't mean to be on center stage and for everyone to think he's wonderful, but rather the attention of do I matter? Each of these words really has a question attached to it. And each of these would also be things that an infant and a child and a teenager would also have on the forefront of their mind. And we we lose this idea that now I'm a grown up, now I'm a man, now I have a family and I need to stuff these longings and desires. And those are just childlike. But attention is asking this question, do I matter and do you see me and do I have the value of uh, you, you kind of putting aside in a moment uh, what is important to you and, and uh, giving me your attention with your eyes, with your heart, with your touch. The second one is affection. And that is not simply uh, hugs and uh, holding hands or even sexual affection, but affection is really about delight and that aspect that the other delights in us in such a way where there's a physical demonstration the you know children when they're excited about a christmas present will jump up and down and flap their hands and their eyes will sparkle and that sense of uh, a partner a spouse having that toward the other uh, is something obviously in the context of a marriage that is difficult to sustain but that's a deep longing in the heart of a man as well and i can keep going down the list but i also want to give you the freedom to jump in and ask any questions along the way this is fascinating to me because I've never heard someone break it down as well as you. And honestly, I think giving verbiage to something that feels hard to define, fullness mm. in Christ, especially fullness in Christ for man, is so helpful. So I say keep going. I'm yes. taking notes as you're speaking. Yes, yes. Well, and I'm glad you said that because we tend to separate the spiritual in the everyday. We all tend to... You know, this is a historical idea that that probably comes from the Greeks, but we tend to separate the secular and the sacred. And so a man's uh, walking in the door, coming home from work, that that is as spiritual as when he's at church with his arms raised listening to a Chris Tomlin song. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and so God put these desires in us for attention and affection because we were meant to experience them with him. But we're also meant to experience them in human relationship. And Mm. the phrase in the whole field of attachment theory right now about the science of our connections is that we were really created to experience these from womb to tomb. And it used to be understood that these needs were basically zero to four. And then once a child got them, you're kind of okay. And then they're not so necessary anymore. But a lot of problems in relationships break down in marriages uh, because these needs get suppressed for any number of reasons. Um, the third A is affirmation. And this is not stroking the ego, but it's the longing and desire in a man's heart for others to say, and particularly a wife to a husband, you have what it takes. 
The uh, fourth A is acceptance. And this is often one that gets uh, quickly passed by. But acceptance is the question of, do I belong somewhere? Does my heart have a home? And you can, you can start to hear that these questions are directly applicable for God. Uh, do you see me? Do I have value? Do you delight in me? Do I have what it takes? And, and God, do I have a place where I belong? Not just church on Sunday, mm. but is there a place in you, Jesus, where I belong? Is there a connection with you that, that is always there that I can fall back on and fall into? And then after the four A's, there are three S's. And the first one is satisfaction. And we oftentimes think of lust as, well, I'm just trying to satisfy a desire. And indeed, it can be emptiness to fullness. But satisfaction is really about well-being. And one of the things that Jesus talked the most about was this whole idea of shalom, the Hebrew word for well-being or for deep wholeness in a way that leads to peace. And so satisfaction is something that um, we, we speak of, and yet I know personally uh, that that kind of deep well-being within my soul, within the pace of a given day or week or life with ministry and family and finances and all of the things that come at us, it's really uh, difficult to land in a place where we, where we feel content, not because we've settled for less, but because our hearts are awake and alive and we're, we're hungering and thirsting for abundance. The next S would be significance. And that's really the sense of, do I have a purpose, a mission, and a destiny that I am to fulfill? And this is not to become a rock star or a billionaire, but is there something that uniquely makes me get up in the morning? And if nothing else, that would be, to contribute and to pour out uh, what's inside of me as a man or the man that we would speak of into the lives of others to generate, to create, uh, to bear fruit. The last S is security, and that's also this idea that I referred to with satisfaction, but it's, it's more global than that. You know, the classic hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, and I speak of this as security is this Uh, Psalm 62 idea that you, O Lord, are my refuge, my fortress, my rock, my safe place. And uh, back to the idea of how men's fullness is different from women's, I think it's something that for men, they would see that safe place and that rock and fortress as outside of themselves, when in fact Christ is within us, Colossians 1 tells us, the hope of glory. And so... um, my judgment would be based on being married for 28 years and counseling for 30 years is that women tend to more naturally see their spirituality as internal and then interpersonal. And men would see it as more external and more performance driven. So I, I uh, have spirituality in my relationship with God based on reading the Bible and praying, go to church and maybe an occasional men's meeting But our spirituality as men and women is meant to uh, come from our inmost being. Let me wrap up this little segment with a scripture from Jesus in John 7. Most people will be familiar with this idea that he says, uh, John says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and in a loud voice said, if anyone is thirsty, 
come to me and streams of living water will flow from within you. And um, I just turned 55, and if I were to ask myself, how often as a Christian have I felt streams of living water flowing within me? Um, I've been a Christian for 35 years, and the answer is not as often as I would like. So how do those streams of living water flow? Well, Jesus said it, if you're thirsty. And so there's a, there's a contingency there that we can only come to him and have the streams of living water flow if we are aware of that thirst and if we acknowledge that thirst and say, Jesus, I want more. And for men who do that, it's really an invitation of awakening of their hearts to desire more deeply. Mm-hmm. And then their souls can be satisfied on uh, the richest affair, as the Lord refers to in Isaiah 55, as opposed to those things that don't satisfy. And as it said from the scripture you read, Lisa, in Proverbs 27, that what is bitter will taste sweet if we don't have this internal fullness and solidness. You know, Michael, I think what you're sharing is so crucial because as I have unpacked with Art, my husband, um, some of what got him in trouble with some of the struggles that he had, um, this was such a big part of it that I probably five or six years ago would have said, no, I mean, you know, like my relationship with art, it it is important that we have good communication and it's important that, you know, we have fun and adventure and that, you know, we manage our finances well together and we have a vision for the future. I would have said all of those things. But honestly, unpacking things with him now, it has helped me see that his relationship with God has more impact on our relationship than just anything, just about anything else. And it's this fullness that you're talking about that I could never give him. And I think for so long, I kept feeling like Mm. if I could do more, be more, say more of the right things, then I had this general sense of some emptiness in him, but I thought it was around me. And looking back now, he would say, no, Lisa, it's exactly what you're talking about, Michael, not understanding how to connect and get his fullness from God. One last verse I'll read from Amos 8, which I don't often go to Amos, but I think this is right in line with what we've been talking about today. Amos 8, 11 through 13. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, And wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. And it's this thirst for the fullness that we can only find in Christ, which maybe if you're listening today, this is surprising to you Mm. that this is really what we're talking about. But what you've shared today is pure gold, Michael, and I've seen it make the biggest difference in my relationship with art. And I've seen it uh, truly transform his heart, tapping into understanding fullness in Christ. And Michael, you had such a big part of that in our counseling time together. I know that uh, 
the next broadcast that we're going to do in our next episode, we are going to talk about how do you have this conversation with your spouse um, if you're married about pornography. And we're also going to be talking about the five broken promises of porn. So you'll want to make sure to get um, in uh, put that in your schedule to listen to the second episode because today was just part one. That's right. And part two is going to be equally as informative and important. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And um, thank you, Lisa, for, for that. I really, I want to touch on one last thing and I just think it's so important and you, you touched on it lightly um, yourself where when you stop looking at porn as this like being afraid of it and you can look at it through this lens of it's a man's question he's asking, do I matter? Mm -hmm. Do you delight in me? Do I have what it takes? Do I have somewhere where I belong? When you can see it from that vantage point, it shifts, at least in my heart, from fear and maybe even anger. And feeling so threatened by this. Yes. And and it shifts to deep compassion Mm -hmm. because I can look in the eyes of my husband and say, yes, 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 you do matter. You do have a place. I can look in the eyes of my son and and breathe that into him at the young age of eight years old. I can I have three brothers and to be able to see them that way and be the life giver that God created me to be in their lives. It it shifts the whole perspective on this thing. So I'm excited that we are diving in. We've got one more episode coming up right after this. But Michael, I wanted you to close this particular teaching segment out on why don't you read that Bonhoeffer quote one more time, because I think it's the right place for us to land. So can you read that for us? Yeah, you bet. Bonhoeffer said that the pursuit of purity is not about suppressing lust, but about reorienting our life to a larger goal. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Let's us as women, um, men, sons and daughters of the Lord, reorient our hearts towards him, towards a greater purpose in him. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.